Okay, welcome back everyone to the Commonwealth City Church podcast. Uh, my name is Trey. I get to serve on staff here at Commonwealth, uh, and I'm extremely grateful for that, and I'm extremely grateful to be back here on our Com City Conversations series. Uh, I'm actually getting to sit here with one of our teaching elders, Andrew, uh, who has been the host of the past couple one of these podcasts, but now he gets to be on the other side of this as we talk about a pretty awesome topic, but Andrew, how's it going? How are we doing? It's good. I'm glad to be on this side of the mic this time. Um, yeah, looking forward to our conversation of the day, Trey. So our topic was kind of decided by me, and that's also why I get to be the host of it this time. But um, So our topic today is going to be talking about the dynamic role of pastors uh, in the church and, and primarily in, in your role as pastor of Commonwealth and a lot about your story and all that. But really, the re- one of the main reasons why we're doing this is because uh, I'm in school and I need to write a paper, and you get to help me with it by talking about this topic. And all our friends get to listen. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and um, No, but I think seriously that it's going to be an extreme blessing uh, to our community and stuff as well. And um, obviously, hopefully, it will be a blessing to my grade as well. But we'll see how that works out. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so the dynamic role of pastors in the church Um this role is constantly changing and evolving. We both know that. You know that as well because you've been through many changes and evolvements in your role as from even from before the Commonwealth days, even though that's what we may focus on a whole lot. Um, but early on in church planning, there's an expectation that you are there to shepherd the entire flock, um, that you're there to not only be to know their names, but be involved in their lives relationally, pretty much everyone from the beginning, um, in a way that that may seem very attainable from the beginning because there is less numbers. But as that cl- as that flock grows, your capacity for relationships continues to change and starts to shift um, be based on the number of people that are there because you still need to make time in your schedule and in your week for study and sermon prep, or even just rest and Sabbath. So based on this, as your role changes, as well as the people that are along along the journey with you as far as volunteers or additional staff um, and, and con- constantly starting to delegate and then empower leaders, um, this is kind of going to kind of be the topic of us, of our talk today and how your um role in that has continued to change with Commonwealth. So let's start from the beginning. Com City is a, a church in Lexington, uh, and we have grown pretty significantly over the last, um, I guess, three years, but even the story goes back further than that. Um, I think like 2014 was the year to start. So I'll just let you start. Um, start early. What did your role look like for Commonwealth um, when it was first planted? And you can be specific. Yeah, so we first started meeting actually in the hopes of being a church plant in the fall of 2013. Um, nothing formal was happening. And, and depending on your awareness of Com City and, and our story, I want to just point some things out just so that we have some clarity. Um, the Lord had put on my heart to plant a church in Lexington and had put on on the heart of our mother church, our sending church, which was Hope Community Church, the, to plant a church in Lexington. And those two streams kind of came running together. Um, what we see now in Com City is the product of multiple people that had that heartbeat that kind of aligned their vision together. Mm-hmm. So we had Commonwealth starting with with me and a group of people that I'll, I'll mention here in just a moment. And then we had... Um, thoroughbred community church that butch vernon was the founding pastor of and um kurt ended up becoming the pastor of which kind of led led he and i to begin dreaming and praying together and led both of our congregations together into a merger in 2017 so there's kind of like feels like there's a ton of anniversaries on like when commonwealth actually started the only reason we kept the name commonwealth city church we actually debated you know, starting with a new name or, or starting it off to where both people 
both groups that were coming in, it kind of get to be a new season for all of them. But this is this is going to sound super spiritual. That's a joke. Um, there's a lot of like logistics to church planning that aren't always spiritual. Yeah, things like bank accounts and taxes and being on file with the secretary of state and all these fun non-biblical things that have to happen to exist in the United States of America from a legal standpoint. And that was already done and accomplished with Commonwealth city church. And so we just kept the name. Um, one did not like Pac-Man eat the other, like we merged equally, uh, but just kept the name. So, so I will go back to the beginning fall 2013. We started as a Bible study in a living room and I'm pretty sure there were, um, 11 of us in that room, maybe 10. There was uh, myself, Tom and Laura Cannon, Ben Connor, Ryan Jackson, Hannah Connor, now Stecklenburg, Blair Hoover, now Connor, (laughs) because she's married to Ben, um, Deanna Petty, now Deanna Foster, and the Gray family, which was only um, Aubrey, Ravi, and cadence at the time uh gibson wasn't wasn't yet with us i think that's it um in our first in our first meeting in the living room at 480 lucille drive in maston station and we just started walking through the book of ephesians together uh figuring that that was kind of the god's roadmap for church church life how church is supposed to run and that ended up resulting in us wanting to have our first quote unquote service around Easter of 2014 to kind of mimic what we were shooting for. Um, you ask what my role was like in the early days. Well, I was like all the things, you know, I was the right. pastor, I guess of, of an 11 person church, um, the worship leader, which wasn't very good. I mean, Robbie, Robbie was really that, but we, uh, we didn't sing for a long time, like in our Bible studies every week. It was like, when are we supposed to start doing this? You know, like when is mm-hmm. this, when is this Bible study become a church service? Uh, it just goes to show like how kind of confusing and, um, you know, convoluted our minds are when it comes to the concept of church being in an event as opposed to right. being a people. Mm-hmm. And so we started having services, um, in, uh, in April of 2014 ended up moving into, uh, a, a building in a neighborhood where Commonwealth, the Commonwealth side of Commonwealth City Church or Commonwealth 1.0 started to grow a little bit, take on some identity, um, see some new families and new people come and join in with us. And that all started to happen in 2014, 2015. And we kind of, you know, called our home base in this, this neighborhood called Irishtown, which was off of Manchester Street, uh, if you're familiar with Lexington, it's kind of across from where it's the neighborhood that's kind of across from where Manchester Music Hall, Manchester Coffee, all those areas are on Manchester Street. And that became really our singular focus for a long time was reaching that neighborhood and, and just establishing what the family of God would look like if it were there. And, you know, the Lord is faithful to bring um, a number of people there that are still a big part of our church, mm-hmm. uh, some that have gone on not out of like not being aligned with our vision anymore, just life and transition and career transitions and all sorts of stuff. But my role in those days, I kind of laugh about this. I actually have a video of this on, on our phone, on my phone is that there was one Sunday that I literally uh, killed more mice. I hope that we're not getting like a PETA conversation here. (laughs) I literally killed more mice than we had people in attendance that Sunday. Um, the number of mice was 14. I didn't like personally hunt them down and kill them. I, I let that happen with the traps, you know, but our, our building was, um, not the, not the most, um, m- you know, not the best at, at being secure enough to where our four legged rodent friends couldn't get in. It, it was mice friendly, but it wasn't as people friendly. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And, uh, you know, that was a season where I felt like a janitor as much as I felt like a like a pastor or felt like a maintenance guy. Mm, Um, and so you mentioned like this role as a pastor. I mean, not only do I, have I been working at a church for 15 years, some way, shape or form, but my dad's a pastor and I've grown up in church settings my entire life. And, uh, you know, many of us, 
I don't know what our backgrounds are with church, but if we go into our childhood, especially in the concept we have of our pastors, many of us would share a concept of a pastor that includes a guy that is always like really well dressed and well put together, usually older, Mm -hmm. um, making house calls, kind of doing visitations. I mean, in fact, I remember, um, at one stage in my life, it was if the pastor comes over, like everybody's kind of in a frantic to make sure the house looks good. And in another stage of my life, we were the pastor's family coming over, you know. And so you could kind of sense everyone on their best behavior because the pastor's coming over. And that I just feel like that role has not just evolved in my life to not be that, but it's evolved culturally to not be that. And something that we try to do very, very intentionally um, – at Com City, whether it's me or Kurt or Steve or Butch or Justin or Brian, is to be accessible, not in a formal way, you know, not in a way that the pastors or the elders are coming over, you know, like just like now, my my friends are coming over, mm-hmm. and to go back to what you were talking about, what my role looked like when when Com City was first planted, um. And something that I think I learned then and I, and I hope I still model today is, yeah, keeping track and staying involved in 11 people were a lot easier. But I felt and I, I think I'm always supposed to feel this way as a leader. I'm still a family member. Mm-hmm. Like I'm never not a family member. Right. And so it's family member first. And some of the family members train the family, our family trainers. I mean, look at your own family if you have. Uh, a family at your house, whether you're a part of one where, where you're the mom or dad, or, or maybe you can think of your mom and dad or your grandparents, and you think of the things you've learned from your parents or your grandparents or family members, or even maybe people that played those roles, even if they weren't related to you. And you gave them an authority to train you or to model for you some things, but they were still family as well. Right. And I think that's. I think that was really easy to, to model when we were 11 people in a living room or, you know, us, us and the mice hanging out at mm-hmm. Irishtown because um, you, you were aware of everybody's um, what was going on in everybody's life. You were usually involved in most of the social endeavors collectively because of the just the, the deeply formed community that we had. Um, but more than anything it was really, really, really obviously clear that we were all just family members together. And I was fortunate enough and really humbled by the trust and the empowerment that those other 10 people would say, we'll let you be our family trainer too. And um, in some ways I feel like that you have to, you know, now it's like you walk in and, well, the family trainer is the person that's on the stage talking as opposed to someone that kind of, earns that in humility and service in a smaller setting Mm -hmm. or in a smaller, more, you know, tight knit community. Um, And so the way that you arrive at being a family trainer or a family member that trains the family, and just so you know, the biblical background for us, where I'm getting that language, it's Ephesians chapter four, where Paul says, and um, he gave some to be, and he, he names off these different, really these different, almost, like personality types, not as much like authoritative offices, but he says some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. Um, we would say it's people with those lenses to equip, which is a word for train, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so when, you know, back in the day, you hired a pastor to be the vocational, to be the guy that you that was paid to do ministry. The problem is the Bible says that all of us are to do mm-hmm. ministry. Um, all of us are to live lives of ministering to ourselves and to others. And the way that we get there in God's appointment for that is that there are some that are trainers and equippers so that the body of Christ might be able to live out um, what it means to be on mission and be ministers in the world. You know, so, Yeah. That's good. And and even just as you were talking there and uh, using that language as a family trainer or an equipper, um, and then based on what it says uh, in Scripture about how we're all called to do the work of ministry, yet pastors are called to be trainers and equippers, 
I know a lot of this is also in the Bible, but how have you dealt with some of the really extra expectations of the role of the pastor in the church? And um, even from the beginning, whether it was 11 people and 14 mice or or like <laughs> as, as Commonwealth started to grow and eventually merged, like how has your heart dealt with that as an expectation of the various things that we find in, you know, first and second Timothy and Titus and different things like that? Um, I would say, I would say the place that my heart either has the most confidence or lacks the most confidence, you know, and, and I can explain that as, as I talk here is in how much I'm known or want to, or desire to be known from other people. Mm. And because knowing someone is a prerequisite to really loving someone and being loved by someone and, you know, prerequisite to accountability, all these different things. And when you're in a smaller setting, the knowing, the being known and knowing someone is like super easy because Mm -hmm. it's like, you're kind of always there. They, they get to see your best and not your best at the same time. If you're really leaning into community, you know, intentionally, the larger that group gets, the more that I'm allowed to kind of let you see what I want you to see. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And other people are allowed to do that too. Like that goes, that's a two way street. Other people are allowed to say, no, I'm only going to let them in this much. And so in some ways that presents either an invitation with some people that are willing to just kind of live wide open um, or with other people, a real limitation to say, you know, I don't want, I don't want people to see the worst parts of me. Or even I can say that, like, I don't know if I can handle, you know, and being trying to be quote unquote imperfect, imperfect around Mm -hmm. somebody else. And um, I think that that can sometimes affect my confidence. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and just how vulnerable, transparent, raw, and how much someone actually actually w- will trust someone to like want to know me or me to know mm-hmm. you know them. If that makes any yeah. sense, did that answer your question? No, yeah, absolutely. I think that that's extremely important from the role of the pastor, and and something that I'm even learning just as a resident in Commonwealth is that you and Kurt specifically, as well as our other elders, just desire for that to be a part of their life yeah. is, is for them to be known. Um, and I've, I've always heard, um, whether it's someone encouraging you actually talking to you, or if someone's just talking about you or Kurt, that that even though our, our church is growing in size and there are more people that you're all's accessibility is still something that they love and not that they can just like call you up and like spend time with you, but that like the time that you, they do get to spend with you. Like they want to know about your life and they get to know about yours. I was just getting to encourage you with that on Sunday, um, that you do a great job of inviting people into your life. Um, so that's super encouraging to me as well. So as we continue to move on through Commonwealth's, um, journey here there may have been some time in between here so you can catch up a little bit if you want but one of the big momentum swings was when we merged so commonwealth in august of 2017 merged with um thoroughbred community church Mm -hmm. like you talked about and we started meeting in the uk bcm building on on the campus of the university of kentucky here in lexington um and pretty much ever since then it's been a pretty drastic growth journey um, really over the past three years now, I guess. So what has that, what has that looked like for your role and how has it started to shift during that time period? Yeah. Um, I would say, well, first of all, it's, that's been super exciting and, mm-hmm. and that wasn't like part of either of our strategies. That was totally the Lord putting those things together. In fact, the, the truest backstory is when Kurt and I were both, um, at UK in our early twenties, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old, we were in a Bible study together and really in kind of a explosion of revival together that happened on UK's campus in our early twenties. And even then we were hopeful that God would allow us to plant a church on UK's campus. Now we both had some learning to do. Um, we had some 
the Holy Spirit had some refining to do in both of our lives to get us there. But when the opportunity came 12 years after that to start to pray and cast vision for that, it was just the, it was like we picked up right where we left mm -hmm. off. And in fact, I even discovered some emails that I had sent um, to like other church planners and stuff from when I was 19 or 20. And painfully, they looked like I was 19 or 20 compared to the way that I understand writing now. <laughs> um, so sometimes they were hard to read. But the same heart and the same vision that we were living in in our early 30s was right there on the paper staring at me from mm. a decade ago. Wow. And so it was really cool to be able to say, like, this is so obvious. This is such a, a no-brainer. In that conversation, we, we merged in August of 2017, but that conversation began in November of 2016. And so it was almost a year of praying through that, seeking the Lord, seeking wisdom and discernment, inviting some of our leaders into that kind of mindset as well of, is this something we could do? Are we being obedient here? And, and I think what you've seen the last three years is God extraordinarily bless what he put together um, that it's a no brainer that we were obedient in mm -hmm. that, you yes. know, that's exactly what he wanted. Um, how did my role start to shift in that time period? So personally, there's a lot going on for me in that time period because in October of 2016, my best friend and brother-in-law, my sister's husband was diagnosed with cancer. And in fact, he passed away, I think, um, two weeks, right at two weeks, before our first service together mm -hmm. and I was on E as much as a person can be on E and it wasn't that I was on empty because there were no people willing to willing to help lead and help sustain from from what we had at Com City that's absolutely there were everybody in the Com City family of that season was a rock star as well. I mean, they were owning ministries. They were, I mean, I think of like the Connors and Ryan Jackson and, and Bo and Tara Craycraft and, and the Owens. And, and like, there were so many people that were just rocking and rolling and making sure things were continuing to get done. And the mission was, was still being on Justin Luttrell. One of those as well. In fact, I'm going to talk about him in just a second. Um, but at the same time, all of us were experiencing a tremendous loss because Tom wasn't just, one of my personal best friends, like he was part of our church. Yeah. And we were also experiencing grief and, and loss. Josh and Lisa Musaya, mm -hmm. you know, Allie and Luke, and in and, and a way that none of us ever had before. And so I felt I was like a person experiencing a tough loss and also a person pastoring a group of people that were experiencing the same tough loss. Right. And I don't know those waters. I've never I've never navigated those waters before. I didn't know how to do that. Um, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, I was on empty. And um, the Lord had brought, brings people into your life at such the right times. In fact, a couple, maybe a year before that, there was a Sunday where a guy had, had moved here, had been living in Lexington for not very long, um, kind of felt isolated from community and just like in life together. And he was leading worship with us. Some, his name's Justin Luttrell. And there was a Sunday that I was specifically kind of weary and exhausted and frustrated with what at the time was our lack of growth. Um, felt like I was doing everything, mm -hmm. lived up to the expectations that not the people of Com City had, but that I had on, on the everything that I had to do, everything in quotes there. Um, and Justin talked to me after church one day and was like, I feel alone in this. And I said, yeah, me too. And he's like, let's start meeting. <laughs> And so for probably the next two years of our life, it feels like we met at 7 a.m. every Wednesday and just developed a deep, deep friendship um, that still exists today. I mean, Justin's one of the elders at Commonwealth now. And uh, it's it was such like such a right time God moment to yeah. intentionally bring us together. So let's fast forward from that back to the merger. Um, when Kurt and Butch and Brian and so many of the just incredible families and leaders of thoroughbred came over. I looked at it as like I was drowning in the ocean and this was not just a boat of the coast guard, like the entire coast guard, <laughs> like coming to my the rescue, entire you know? Army and I know that, that 
they would immediately deflect that and say, no, it was the Lord rescuing you. And it is, it was the Lord rescuing me personally, but, but also his vision from being lost and and drowning. Um, but my role immediately went to one where I felt like I had people that I could share it with and was able to like finally step back to, um, feel what I needed to feel, what my heart needed to feel in, um, losing my brother-in-law, um, in, in joining in with the grief of the rest of the church that lost a valued mm-hmm. member. Yeah. And, you know, just being a, just being a family member again, it, it gave me permission to be a family member again. Um, in a season where I, I felt like I had grown into the self expectation of being a role and an authority. Um, I think the Lord was faithful to let the merger of Commonwealth and thoroughbred into what is now Commonwealth 2.0 Commonwealth city church as we all know it. I feel like the Lord used that moment to remind me of my family standing right? the most. And, um, gosh, I can't tell you how significant that was. Um, how relieving that was, how it's in some ways difficult it was, but also needed that it was in my life. And, um, yeah. So from, from that point on, uh, Kurt and I kind of were the first to staff people, co-pastors, co-elders, whatever word you want to use there. Um, it felt awesome to have an on-staff teammate in that for a while. Uh, I've said this about him to many people. I'll say it about him on this podcast. Like Kurt is so incredibly easy to work with because he is such an incredibly humble guy. Correct. I hope he says yeah. the same things about me. Um, but he certainly is the standard bearer for that of really of anybody I know in my life. And Trey, we've had, I've had multiple people, church planning coaches, church planning workshops, church planning conferences, look at me and say, you, it'll never work planning a church with equal authority mm-hmm. and its pastors. Like that's basically like, that's a cute idea. That's a really cool idea, but it's not going to work. You have to have a point person. And, you know, so far three years in, it's worked pretty well. In fact, we've gone from two to six. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to paint that picture really clear too. Yes. Uh, Kurt and I might be the most visible elders at Commonwealth, but we are just a third collectively of the leadership at Com City Church and and really have the expectation for that leadership to even grow. Not Not now necessarily, but as the Lord grows it. You know, we have um, dedicated men that are over dedicated and godly and super high character men that are capable of teaching and shepherding that are over areas like our finances, that are over areas like our our ministry to next generation children Mm -hmm. and and what will soon be student ministry in middle school and high school if it's not that already. Um, we have people that doing that over over our mission strategies, mission sending strategies, mission partnership strategies. Um, preaching and worship are, are pretty visibly on display every week. And that would primarily be Kurt and myself over those areas. Um, but also we have an elder over, you know, pastoral care and I mean discipleship, like all these different all these different things are kind of shared between Kurt, myself, Steve Moore. Butch Vernon, Justin Luttrell, and Brian Bassalieri. And, you know, we're able, you might not see all those people all the time, and not all those people are on staff or working, rocking around the offices. But um, moving from a team of one to a team of six has been one of the greatest blessings in my life. And is six people the most efficient way? Not necessarily, but we think it is the healthiest way. Um Sometimes when you have six people in the room, you have conversations that are longer than if you had one person in the room and he just agrees with himself. Right. <laughs> you know, that's a good point. Um, but that's super healthy. We like the, the, the tug and we like the different perspectives and we like those things to happen. And so, um, yeah, that has been, that has been some of how my role has changed too. And, um, so yeah, two years in, two years in, um, our growth, uh, has seemed significant, even if that may, you know, not be the most efficient way. And, and there's no point of even talking about like what it could have been otherwise, if you were, 
just in the more traditional senior pastor role or whatever you may declare that as. But even growing from the Irish Town days of there being 10 to 20 to now, um, you know, we have two services on Sunday and there's probably a consistent of 250 attendees on Sundays with many groups and stuff going on throughout the week. There's a lot happening at Commonwealth. Things are starting to transition and change. And, and even just like from some things that I've read that are very like valuable researches or, um, or resources on uh, like a, a book that I just read recently called Small Church Essentials by Carl Vaders, which was super, super helpful for seeing the transition from um, like a church plant to a small church and then a just like the necessity of of seeing your value and worth in a church that is small and that it is big enough. Um, so I think that the, a lot of that has led me to this question. And I want you to be vulnerable in this because this is in a season that we are in of kind of transitioning from a smaller church to kind of more of a medium-sized church. Because um, we are in that season of transition. How do you desire to see your role change as we continue to grow and develop? Yeah, well, um, I want to answer that question by kind of going backwards in reverse. Um, one of the things I didn't say on purpose earlier, because I wanted to say it here, is that when, when that living room was where we gathered as the Church of Jesus to, to when it was Irish Town um, to even now, I think it's it's easy to, to look at me as a, oh, that was the church planner, that's the pastor. But really, everybody in that room was church planner. Yep. Everybody. In fact, yep. there are people that I regularly say to their face, like, thank you for being a church planner mm-hmm. here. Like, I remember, um, I, I, I think I took Josh, Joshua Musalia, who many of you know. Um, I got to be Josh's youth pastor in Bowling Green for a small season when he first moved to the United States from Kenya. And then he ended up following the Lord's will for his life to move to the be a student at the university of Kentucky and we got connected again. And, and I told Josh one day, I said, Josh, like you sacrificed such the normative collegiate Christian experience to be a church planner. Mm-hmm. Like you could have gone to one of these and many great churches in the city of Lexington that have like an incredible college ministry that are going and doing, and, you know, going to these awesome events and conferences and ski trips and, all these different things that are so much fun and formative and you meet people and build lasting relationships. And Josh is tutoring on Tuesdays after he gets out of school in a neighborhood that is pretty under-resourced every single week because Josh is a church planner. Now I know he's going to be a doctor someday, but for a season of his life, he's been a church Mm -hmm. planner. Um, I think about people like Ben Connor and Blair Connor that are, they're church planners. Like they're, Pay checks might come from somewhere else, but they're church planners. And I don't think, I think one of the things that God has been, has really been gracious to us with is that heart and that mindset hasn't stopped just because we've gotten bigger. Um, I still think we have a room full of church planners. Now we're just doing it in our neighborhoods, in our homes, um, in our workplaces, in smaller community settings where everyone can fully be known and known the other and know the other person yeah. as well. And we're trying to accomplish that in our family groups. So you ask what role do I want to play? I still want to be a trainer of the family. I still want to, I still want to be a family member first and a family trainer that is seeing people live out what it looks like to follow Jesus in the everyday stuff of life. Like that's, right. that's that more than I want to be a preacher I want to be that. Will, will the Lord use preaching moments to do that? Sure. And I love to preach. I love to preach and teach. But I also love seeing you preach, Trey. Mm-hmm. And I love sitting across from a coffee, a table at a coffee shop or, you know, in this office, being able to talk about a truth in the word of God that you think moves our people to be a better follower of Jesus. I love seeing the Lord do that. I love seeing the Lord do that in, in people that aren't just me or Kurt, you know, in Madison for a few weeks ago, being able to share her testimony and Bailey being able to share her testimony a few weeks ago, um, being able to 
move people into a greater understanding that they really can live under the lordship and leadership of Jesus every minute of every day. Like that invitation is fully there. Uh, I also want to see my role grow into going back to being a dreamer. Um, Mm -hmm. It's easy to get into a mode of maintenance when it comes to really leading it really in any job. It's not, it's not just pastoral ministry that it's easy to, to live in a role of maintenance. There's many of us in many of our jobs that when we first got in there, our first week or our first month or our first year was all these ideas about what we could do and what our life would look like and what our trajectory would look like. And then you get five or six or 10 years into it. And it's like, well, this is just what it is. (laughs) You know, it's easy to get kind of, I don't want to say stuck, but comfortable in a mode of routine and maintenance and forget fresh vision and fresh dreaming and fresh inspiration. And so as much as I love what I get to do, um, I want to become more, I want to be a dreamer again. That's what drew me to church planning in the first place. Mm -hmm. What might God do if a group of people declare who he is and what he's done? What might he do? And I think that was at the the formative question at the beginning of Com City Church. And I think it's still a formative question in front of us. Um, that I want to, that I want to fully capitalize on. And then lastly, like, I love the opportunity that we get me and Kurt specifically, but also all of our leaders, really all of our people get to be kingdom people more than we are comp city people. It's good. The goal is not the growth of Commonwealth city church. The goal is the growth of the kingdom of God. And we get to be a part of that. Like we're not competitors with the church down the street. I mean, in fact, we're literally doing this podcast in another church because our offices are at Hillendale Christian <laughs> church, like Hillendale Commonwealth are part of the same team. Our services might not look the same. Our staff might not look the same. You know, our music may or may not sound the same. I don't know. All those things are negotiable, but we are both kingdom churches with kingdom people. And so being a, being a val- understanding my role in the kingdom of God is far more important for me than understanding my role at Commonwealth City Church. So you mentioned uh, that you like to preach and that you are an incredible preacher. You're gifted at it. And I um, am extremely blessed to be able to sit under your teaching as well as Kurt's and um, everyone else that preaches at Commonwealth as well. So kind of our last question here, I want to give you a little opportunity to do that a little bit. <laughs> uh in in your in the life of the pastor in, in many different church contexts, not just ours, but you can use yours as a personal testimony to this as well. Throughout the evolving nature of the pastor, what remains the same? What are the non-negotiables in your role? Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I think a non-negotiable has to be health. It has to be health. Um, Primarily spiritual health is what I mean by that, but also mental health, emotional health, physical health. There has to be an extreme priority put on this. And it's easy to neglect one of those things and slowly watch the domino effect of neglecting all of those things. Mm-hmm. That's right. um, I'm grateful that part, when I mentioned part of the gift of having six elders, pastors, as opposed to one, is there are five guys expecting my health inspecting my health and expecting my health, um, asking those questions, um, suggesting time off, suggesting time in the word saying, say no to meetings and spend more time in the word for yourself, you know, like helping kind of reestablish those expectations that I am growing so that we are growing and I'm doing the same for them. So I think that that's really important. I've said before, like, just because I have a degree from a seminary or just because I mean, we don't have nameplates on the door, but even if we did have nameplates on the door, just because I might have the word pastor on a business card doesn't me- make me a spiritual superstar. Like it, as Ken preached a few weeks ago, I still have to make every effort to supplement my faith as right. well. And so it's easy to spend entire weeks doing quote unquote work for ministry and not for my own soul. That's right. It's really easy to yeah. do that. Mm. And um so yeah, I think that 
I think that my own spiritual health, spiritual growth, spiritual um, well-being, spiritual maturity, mental, emotional health and rest, like those things have to be prioritized. Those are non-negotiables. And a year or two ago, I wouldn't have said that. Hmm. Or I wouldn't have said it the very first thing. Right, because it was just like the grind then and you didn't feel like it was as important or... Yeah, I think I've just I think I've just learned in seasons of unhealth how important health is. And, yeah, and just so that everyone right. out there is listening, this is a quote from my dad, and and he says this to me often in a lot of different avenues of health, whether that's mental, emotional, spiritual, physical. Um, one of the things that is always difficult when it comes to living healthy is it costs. It costs a lot. You know, if you're gonna eat healthy, it costs more than eating unhealthy. If you're going to go to the gym or go to a trainer or, you know, have some type of training like that membership costs, costs money. It costs time. It costs energy. It costs effort. It costs intention. Um, if you're going, and that's just using the, the one that we're probably the most aware of for getting into spiritual health, like taking time aside to get into the word, to, um, be having spiritual conversations that grow us with other people like those. That means I'm not talking about football right that means i'm right. not talking about uk sports that means i'm talking about the things of the lord like there's a cost i have to i have to pay the price of of prioritizing my spiritual growth my mental growth some people maybe seeing a counselor seeing a therapist like i'm a big advocate for that i don't think unhealthy people see counselors or therapists i i think healthy people see see them and um you know there's a physical cost there's a time cost there's a monetary cost of these things i, I say all that to get this, to get to this phrase, this is the quote from my dad. He used to tell me, or he does tell me, Andrew, living healthy costs, but living unhealthy costs a lot more. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's a price we don't want to pay. That's a price we don't want other people to pay. And so healthy living costs, but unhealthy living in fact will cost us a lot more. Another non-negotiable is submission. Um, in the role of a pastor who oftentimes most churches in the United States kind of lives maybe extra authoritative to the people that are he's on staff with, the people that are even his elders or deacons or whatever kind of accountability group he has. Um, submission is kind of a hard thing to find. Yes, submitted to the Lord. I mean, I think that's an expectation, but submitted to other people can be a place that's lacking in the life of the pastor. And here, um, again, benefited enough to that I can tell you five guys that I'm willing to be submitted to and that they're willing to be submitted to me being one of their five guys right. as well. And so that is, that is a non-negotiable in the involving nature of the pastor. Um, I would say growth has to be a non-negotiable, something that remains the same. And growth doesn't mean more leadership opportunities. Like I've not grown as a leader because I get to speak at a conference. Like I've grown as a leader when I'm faithful in the small things. Mm -hmm. That's how I've grown as a leader. I've not grown as a leader because a lot of people show up and hear me talk or read a book that I'm write or listen to a podcast that we talk on. I've grown as a leader when I've let my yes be yes. And um, I've honored the things that I've said I'm going to honor. And I've been faithful in the small things and in the unseen things. Um, And in fact, that's a kingdom principle. That's a biblical principle. Jesus says you want to be put in charge of more things do the small things you've got well, <laughs> you know? And so I think it's easy to sometimes shoot extracurricularly with that as a way that we're growing or impacting or engaging. But like, in fact, I think growth is really just being excellent in what I've been given. Um, the next thing I would say, something that remains the same is I do think when it comes to a vision for Commonwealth city church, um, the Lord, certainly has anointed Kurt and I with that. And it's to, to realize that vision isn't a one-time thing. Um, and there's so many, so much biblical precedence for that too. You know, like I think of, of Isaiah who at one point complains to the Lord um, about his vision and, and the Lord says, what you think, you think your vision is, is only that it's, that's actually way too small. You know, it's actually a much larger vision. Than this Kurt says all the time, like, that he hopes that we don't pray a prayer that we can actually accomplish God's mm-hmm. vision, that it should be bigger than what one church or what one person could accomplish. And so, Such a line. Um, <laughs> yeah, vision isn't a one-time thing. So it's kind of going back to that well of, of 
listening and trusting and learning from the Lord. But then the last thing that's a non-negotiable tray about pastoring is pastoring is about people. Pastoring is one of these weird words that exists in our culture, but the weird, the true word for it is being a shepherd. And, um, you have to, you don't shepherd concepts. You don't shepherd circumstances. You shepherd people. People go through circumstances. They go through scenarios and seasons of life as do you. Um, but pastoring is always going to be first and foremost about, um, what it looks like to lead and love and listen and encourage and equip people. And again, just to go back to what we said at the beginning, I do that from the posture of being a family member mm-hmm. and a family trainer. Yeah. You know, so I'm a family member that also needs shepherding. It's good. But also needs someone to love and encourage and equip and empower me. But uh very humbly I accept the role of also saying thanks to the people that allow me to train them in that as well. And, you know, maybe to even tie a bow on this, what I hope for and what I pray for for Commonwealth is that if we're growing, which that's a great thing, you know, it's a great thing that we want to celebrate, we want to thank the Lord for, but if we're growing, we're not just growing in family members, we're also growing in family trainers. Mm-hmm. We're growing in people mm-hmm. that are willing to say, I want to take ownership over maybe my household, maybe my household and my neighbor's house, maybe my family group of their spiritual health, their spiritual understanding, their mental, physical, and emotional health, like all these things, um, their growth and doing the small things well, but training people, shepherding people um, to be on mission, to follow and listen and follow, you know, understand and submit their life to Jesus and everyday stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. And, and I think that that, is a great way to finish that up. And, and even too like, just as you were talking and reflecting, so I came on staff at Commonwealth in January of 2019. So I'm coming up on two years in that role. And, uh, but I started coming to Commonwealth pretty much right as we launched in the BCM as a student. Um, and where I didn't know the vision or the story of Commonwealth and the mer and the merge and all that at that time, I started to kind of, just really get involved in that and what that looked like. And <clears throat> excuse me, and I think that as I as I continue to develop in that family and start to kind of get more inside on the on the staff stuff and all that, it still really wasn't clear like who was from what side, you know? Like there was no longer a side. Hmm. Like it was it was Commonwealth family, you know? Like there are still plenty of people that I have incredible relationships with. That I don't know. I know they've been here for a while, and I don't know if they came from Thoroughbred or Commonwealth. Like, it really doesn't matter. And I think that that's what's special. Um, and that's not just from me coming at a certain time and, and all that kind of flowing in well. It's because we really have gotten the opportunity to embrace each other's family. Uh, and it's a gift. And, like, I, I'm so excited to see how the Lord continues to start to move through. Um, our leadership in our church and as leaders start to get equipped and start to get raised up because it is obvious that we are starting to love each other really well. And when people start to love each other really well, they want to do mission together. Mm-hmm. And like that just gets me really excited. Yeah, man, I, I hope that we're a church. I know that Olive Garden kind of stole the phrase when you're here, your family um, before we got to. But I hope that that's the heartbeat <laughs> of of com city and really it's it's just one of the things that i find myself praying time and time again for our people for myself is that when we have a greater understanding of who dad is our Mm -hmm. father god and what he's done send his son to make us family um so we could see jesus as that perfect servant king that we are long to serve you know that we're filled with his spirit so that we can accomplish that but like as, as, as we really lean into that family dynamic, one of the things I pray often is I hope that we're people that are so fired up that we get to introduce a lost world to who dad is. Yeah, that's good. You know, like wait till mm-hmm. they meet dad, <laughs> you know, and um, man, I even get emotional thinking about it. Like we have such a good father and not just because that was a popular song a few years ago, um, but we have such a good father and if there's something that could be said for our church 
again, I, I hope it's, man, we are a collection of people that say, I can't wait for you to meet my dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so good. And yeah, I mean, I think about that too. And just like the, once you, once you find something you love, you just can't help but start to talk about it. And, you know, I think about like when you're, you know, you're a cook and you, you love to cook and you make something really good and that you put a lot of time into it and it, it brings you joy. You're going to want to be like, Hey, like, come taste this. Come, come see what this tastes like. It's very, very good. And like when we've experienced the truth of the gospel in our life and it's given us salvation and it's continuing to save us, there's no way that we can't help but share it. It's like, Hey, come and taste this, you know, come Mm -hmm. and see what this truly tastes like. And yeah, I guess like that is just a commission to our people, you know, to all the students that I get to hang out with that like that they would just say like, Hey, come and taste how good Jesus is to everyone in their classes, uh, to their roommates, um, to their family members, all of that. Um, and yeah, and even to, and to the original church planners of Commonwealth city church, that their role has not changed to the Ryan Jacksons and to the Connors and to all the people that we've talked about, that their role has not changed, that they are still people that get to invite people to taste and see just the goodness of goodness of God. So as we finish up here, any other things that you want to add a short commissioning or no, I think, I think I'm good. Trey, I'm proud of you for being a family trainer. You are, you're a good family trainer. So thanks for, thanks, thanks for, for helping me write that. my paper. You're welcome. <laughs> Enjoyed talking to um, you today, but also to, to all of our comp city family that might listen. And if anybody wants to follow up this conversation, you know, you know how to get a hold of me. Yeah. Let us know. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, yeah. If you don't follow us on Instagram at Com City Church, uh, subscribe to the podcast, let people know uh, what's going on. We meet on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. in the BCM building uh, on UK's campus. Uh, it's been fun and we'll get to do it again soon. Thanks, guys.